I didn't realize the effect of that graphic when I looked at it on my computer, but when my name shows up next to my big fat mouth, <laughs> that's not exactly the effect I had in mind, but that was kind of fun. Yeah, we're going to have a great time with this particular uh, series, My Big Fat Mouth. I get in trouble all the time, and last week I'm ad-libbing, and I apologize to all of my art teachers, Carrie, uh, when I said that the Mona Lisa was painted by Rembrandt, I knew that it was Da Vinci. I got the wrong uh, Ninja Turtle, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you for your grace. Most of you let me get at least an hour out of the service before you blew up my email box. So I appreciate that. Hey, you know, our big fat mouth gets us into a lot of trouble and a lot of challenges as we go along. But I'd like to start out just by us praying for each other. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's in this moment that we're reminded, just as Zach encouraged us a while ago, that whatever we bring today, some burdens and some blessings, that, Father, we would come before your throne with nothing in our hands and nothing on our lips but praise for you. So, Father, it's in this moment that we ask you to care for us. You are amazing. You give us your name. You give us life. Father, in the midst of the chaos and the craziness, we're reminded again that you're God. So, Lord, whether we are dealing with physical ailment, illness, disease, emotional turmoil and challenge, or relational issues, we ask you to give us comfort and strength today to remind us of your presence and to bless us so that we would be a blessing to others. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, most of us learned the basics when we were in kindergarten. And there are times when I wish, you know, I was just a kindergarten teacher because there were three basic things you learned in kindergarten. God loves us, God made you, and God doesn't want you to hit anybody. That, you know, if we just live by that, God made us, God loves us, and God doesn't want you to hit anybody, we could do really, really well. But what we realize is that as we grow, more and more responsibility falls upon us. And one of the big things in making that transition from adolescence to adulthood is that we take responsibility for what we say, how we act, and how we think. And so that's just a, you know, a huge challenge is growing up is about responsibility. And one of the responsibilities that we take are the words that we use, what we say. And, and through this series, we want to take, in some cases, a lighthearted look, but we just want to take a look at the words that we use. Not always will they be bad words. Sometimes they're good words, but we've misused them, and, and you'll get them as we go along. They are challenging, words like compare or can't or alone. But, but we, we, we want to approach this topic with, in some unique ways. And so I hope it'll be a challenge to you. Some of you probably didn't want to be here. At first service, I was walking in, and one of the guys said, my wife saw the topic and made me come today. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I hope that's a blessing. What we want to highlight are hard words that take away from our standing with Jesus. Words that creep into our language. James writes about words in James chapter 3, verse 2, when he says this, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. I don't know if I'm talking to very many of you here. There are some, I'm sure. That it's just a few of you, I know, 
But doesn't our mouth get us into trouble? I mean, there are just some times when I say things, I go, did that come out out loud? And we wonder. That's what James says, things that we say and even things that we don't say. I mean, for some of us, if we come home and we don't come through the door and say, I love you, we're in trouble, right? Or husbands, how about that, that question that we get asked when it is, does this dress make me look beautiful? <laughs> That's what I, no, I'm just kidding. You know, we get asked questions and, you know, the deal is we're not supposed to lie or we're not supposed to prevaricate or do anything else with that. And how do I respond? So words, words can be a challenge. And as we're approaching another election cycle, and you do realize we have a general election this fall, not next fall. But we're already focused on next fall, the presidential election, and the words that are being thrown around. And social media, don't get me started on the stuff that we see on Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. Words. We just finished a series that we called Four, where we were talking about what is it that the church is for. And so when I pitched this series to our team last year, I said, we're going to be coming out of four. We're not going to be spending a lot of time talking about these negative things that might come along, but we want to talk about what are the words that we want for people, not just what we're against. And how do we, how do we talk in a way that God wants us to not just simply berating how poorly people talk? And so we want to look at some of these words that might need to change, might need to be evaluated, might need to be seen for how we use them to hurt rather than help. I think we'll have some fun with some of them. But sure enough, as I go through the series and I'm, and I'm uh, assigning, I didn't assign who would speak on what this time. And I let the, let the guys choose their topics. And sure enough, they all looked at me and say, you take this one. And the one they gave me was God's name. They all get the fun ones. I get using God's name in the wrong way. And, of course, that will get everybody excited. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you know the drill. It's the third commandment. It says this, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. And oftentimes the church is only known for the things that we are against and we are prudish and we are all kinds of things about how we talk and we don't talk about it in the positive ways. This is one of the Ten Commandments that I have misunderstood more than any in the years that I've followed Jesus. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. I mean, I thought this commandment had a very specific and limited application. That that summarized, it meant that I didn't say, oh my God, when I was shocked or excited. It means not saying, Jesus Christ, when somebody cuts you off in traffic. And please, please hear the way I've used these words because you may want to talk to your kids some more afterwards. But we use them for shock factor. We use them because we're angry. But the commandment says, do not misuse the name of the Lord. It's far, far more than how I use the name of the Lord as a vocabulary word. Notice it's commandment number three. The first one is, you have no other gods above me. What God is saying at the first commandment is, there is no one who matches up to me. I just got through defeating the gods of Egypt, and here I am. I'm primary. Whenever we talk about monotheism, we say we worship one God. 
God doesn't necessarily say that there aren't other gods. In fact, that's what sometimes Paul says. You remember we're doing this battle, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the air. There may be some others. But there is no God over God. The second thing he said, don't put me in a box. Don't make me in an image. Don't make me a piece of wood or a stone, something that you can control. Don't have any idols. You can't put me in a box. You can't control me. And then the third one is, and I gave you my name. I'll talk a little bit more about what that means in a few minutes, but I gave you my name. I revealed myself to you. You didn't have to go wandering around looking for me. I came to you, and I gave you my name. And it is a powerful name. So I want want us to look at that because the reality is that words reveal our substance. They reveal the truth of who we are. In our case, our words either testify to our devotion to God or they they have this sense of of a spiritual problem. (laughs) You know, we know this because the command not to take the Lord's name in vain or not to misuse the name of the Lord follows the instruction of there's only one God. Love him wholeheartedly and do not worship idols. Don't fall into spiritual malaise where you're in control. So here's the big idea I want you to think about in using God's name, and that's this. When you use it, mean it. When you use it, mean it. Mean it in the way in which God gave his name, not in the way in which we might plagiarize it, if we could say it that way. After all, what's in a name? Parents spend so much time uh, playing on names. I was kidding. Oh, man. I'm talking to some of our young families this morning and talking about birthdays and so forth. I get all your kids confused. I can't imagine. I got my own kids confused. Uh, So what's in a name? Names are important for every one of the kids that are here. And it took you time in planning. What was the name of your children? And and what would be the impact of giving them this name? And so we would often pick a family name or maybe a name that had a special meaning. Maybe names that were just unique. I, I... I remember one of my friends here at White Oak, and many of you knew him as well. Uh, he was known as Bob. And I remember when Bob went into the hospital one time and went to look for him, and they had no Bob in the hospital. I asked him later, I said, how come I couldn't find you? He said, well, my name's not Bob. My mom called me, fill in the blank. He said, I didn't like it, so I started calling myself Bob when I was five years old, and I've always been Bob since then. I thought, wow, if you're going to pick a name, Bob? But, but, you know, many of you know Bob and knew Bob, and he was an amazing guy, and he was always known as Bob. That was not his name. He picked his own. Here's what I know, though. Scripture says, says this to us. It says, a good name is more desirable than riches. What, what it means is a name means something. It means something. You and I know that when, when a person talks to us and they can use our name, it's because we've revealed ourselves to them. We've let them in a little bit to know the right name. I've said this before, that if you call my house and you ask for Richard Schunkweiler, I pick it up, I listen, they go, is Richard there? And I go, no, that was my dad, and I hang up. Because I'm Rick. If you know me, you're going to call me Rick. You're not going to call me Richard. You're not going to use my formal name. You're going to use the name that I gave you to, give, to talk to me about. And that's what God's doing here. Have you ever noticed how we avoid naming our kids Judas or Jezebel? 
I mean, those names in the Old Testament, those were characters that we don't want our kids to live out. Another thing I know about names is this. Names represent character, but they also represent authority. I mean, we say he's making a name for himself. And if I use the names Martin Luther King or Abraham Lincoln or, or uh, Ab- excuse me, Benedict Arnold or Pete Rose, you immediately have a picture of that person, right? In the Bible, to name someone or something was to have authority or rule over it. So that's why God says, Adam, you name all the animals because you're going to have ruling over them. That's why when we get to Luke, God says, the angel says, you will call his name Jesus. You see, God named it Jesus, not Joseph and Mary. Because they would not have parental authority over him as regular parents. God had authority. God allowed them to call him Jesus. He submitted to his parents, but they did not name him. His other name, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, he saves them, saves his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us, represented both his character and represented who was his authority, God himself. So there's another principle, though, that I want you to notice, and that's this. When God gives us his name or names, he is inviting intimacy. He's inviting intimacy. He's inviting us into his life. He's saying, get to know me. You see, we don't get to give God names. He volunteers his name to us. And any time that God reveals a name to us, he tells us something about his character, about his nature. One of the things that may be fascinating to you is to go home today and Google just biblical names of God. And you go down through and you see the name that provides for and cares for and loves and sustains and encourages and lifts up and all the different names that God reveals himself as. But he wants to get to know us. He wants us to get to know him. And the personal name for God that's used here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, is the word Yahweh, I am. I am. And I am reveals some amazing things about God just in those two little words. He's telling us of his eternal nature, that that he's always been. He's telling us of his rule, that, that before anything else, he existed. That he's over everything. I am. And he's telling us of his faithfulness, that he never changes, that he's never changed, and he never will change, and he always will be. You see, by knowing God's name, Yahweh, I am, I can trust him. Because he's revealed himself to me. He's revealed himself to you. So it's an important name, and it gives us those things. That's why I never want to misuse it. Did you notice all the songs that we sang as we've been worshiping so far today, musically, had to do with the name of God? And how we bless his name, and how he gives us his name, and how he cares for us. And I don't want to say anything empty, meaningless, mindless, without substance about God, or use his name in that way. I would be taking the name I am, the name that says I never lie, I never change, I will always be, and I am attaching it to something with no meaning, a throwaway phrase, or a thought. Now, I don't want to take something that's holy, the name of God, his very essence, and use it out of its holy context. Now, now when I do, I'll often say, well, you know, I, I really didn't mean anything by that. But that's exactly the problem. 
that at that point in time, I'm pushing God out of my mind. I should not utter God's name unless I do mean something by it because his name means something. So that's why I say when you use it, mean it. Mean it. I just want to spend a few minutes this morning talk, considering how we talk about God's name, how we use it. I have five ways that I think we misuse, tend to misuse God's name. I have three ways that I think God wants us to use his name. The five ways are all ways that you're going to jump on. You're going to see them. Oh, yeah, that's exactly it. But let's just jump into them real quick. First way that we tend to misuse God's name is the easy one. I'll put quotes around that as a curse. We use it as a curse. Probably the most common way that we misuse it. I mean, we all know someone who gets angry and frustrated and asks God to damn whatever the source is of the problem, right? Taking the most magnificent name and calling down fire. Did, did you know that when we do that, we're asking God to do something he never does, has never done? Punishment yet? Damnation? No. John 3 says this, 17 and 18. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. You see, in other words, it it is a person who condemns himself when he refuses the light of Jesus and chooses darkness instead. So when we ask God to condemn someone, even God says, I don't do that in this time frame. Wow. So we can misuse God's name by cursing, but the second way we might misuse his name is as an exclamation point. What do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes the name of the Godhead is just used to express all sorts of of emotions. That's where we get OMG. Oh my God. Or that's Jesus. Or a variety of other ways that we might do that. It expresses pain or surprise or disbelief. But here's what I've learned. The way that I use God's name speaks volumes about me. It speaks volumes about me. Perhaps the person is unaware of God's pronouncements. That's not true of me. Perhaps the person is unaware of how special God's name is. That's not true about me. Just perhaps. But that's not true about me. And so when I misuse God's name, it speaks something about me. You see, it it may also represent a spiritual problem. Here's what Jesus said about the things that come out of our mouth. He said, you brood of snakes, he's talking to the religious leaders in, in, uh, in, in Israel at that point in time. And he says, you brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So that's one of the questions is doing some heart examination throughout this summer. What's going on in my heart? What's already in my heart? Because here's what he says next. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. Are you putting good stuff in your heart? Are you trying to listen to good things? Are you trying to think good things? Are you reading good things? And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Stuff that we put in there, that we keep in there. You know, one of the challenges that thing I have as I get older and you start worrying about some of the dementia stuff is what filters leave me as I get older and and I I do have a fear of some of the stuff 
that I've had in my heart that I've asked God to clean out but maybe haven't gotten all the way. And so when you come in and I'm going to be that 90-year-old in the rest home with the bib, I may just cuss you out because that's what's in my heart. I don't have any filters anymore. We tend to live in a culture that says, don't have any filters. So what are you putting in your heart? What's in your heart? What's going on there? Here's how he finishes it. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Here's what he's really saying. The words Jesus is Lord, you're either going to say Lord Jesus or you're going to say Lord Jesus. And those words will acquit or condemn you. Because if you say Lord Jesus, you're in. If you say Lord Jesus, the stuff you made me do You'll be out. It's what's in your heart. So do you use God's name to bless or in a flippant and idle way? So we've talked about a curse, an exclamation point. How about a cliche? We can use, misuse God's name by just trying to sound spiritual. You know, things like, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, bless him, Jesus. What I like is whenever I'm preaching, I can hear people out there sometimes going, help him, Jesus, help him. You know, they're cliches. We just toss them out as we go along. We don't mean anything. It's a quick response. It's unthinking. And Jesus talked about this divine name dropping in Matthew chapter 6 when he talked about people who love to pray in public so that people could hear their words and they could hear them talking to God and going on and on with showy prayers. We should mean deeply what we say when we use his name. When we say, so help me God to tell the truth or to give witness, we are asking God for help. It's heartfelt. It's not offhand. It's not just because that's what we get when we stand on the witness stand. It's not because that's just what the preacher says whenever I stood up here to give my life to Nancy. It has to come from my heart. We do not use God's name for our own purposes. You know, sometimes I think we get really close. Here's where I'm going to meddle for a minute because this was 4th of July week. I think we get really close to using God's name as a cliche when we say, God bless America. Everybody says it. Many don't care about God, but they know it'll win them points. That's a cliche. That's misusing God's name. In fact, really, I, I, I can listen to that. I can clap and so forth. But really, I, I, would, I would think the prayer would be, America, bless God. America is our heart connected to God. Cliché. Fourth way, we've already talked about three. There's that sense of curse, exclamation point, and cliché. Fourth way is a weapon. You see, God's name can be used as a weapon to intimidate others. Have you ever had somebody come up and say, you know what? God told me to tell you. God told me this was happening in your life. So sometimes it might be a word from God, but many times it's used as a weapon to hit me, to try to get me to change. And when I stand before you up here, I know I have to be really careful whenever I'm talking about the word of God. It's an awesome thing to use the name of the Lord. And I want to make sure that I'm delivering his thoughts and not just my own. I cannot take lightly the opportunity to stand up here. I cannot use his name as a weapon to to whip you into shape. His name alone is transformative. 
Am I going to let him do the transformation? A curse, an exclamation point, a cliche, a weapon. And the last one is as an endorsement. I can misuse God's name here because I, I don't believe that God wants his name marketed for people's selfish purposes. Some will commercialize the name of God to sell products. If you're a Christian, be a Christian businessman or be a Christian businesswoman, but be careful how you market yourself. In politics, where I see it even more raw, each candidate looks for an edge over the others and they try to out-Christian or out-use the name of God in their campaigns. But I can do the same thing praying. I can do it because I tack on in Jesus' name at the end of any one of my requests. And and it makes it sound really good, and I'm kind of endorsing, hey, God, remember, I prayed this in Jesus' name. I'm golden. But here's what James says in James chapter 4. He says that even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. So he's saying there, you can even use the name of Jesus in a prayer, and you're doing it with the wrong motives. You're using it as a stamp that says, look, God, I did the right thing. I said, I prayed it in Jesus' name. That's a misuse of his name. I want to be careful using his name. So you can see what we've covered so far that from both on the street and in the church, we can misuse his name. And that's what the third commandment's about. But I think there are three ways that we can use his name appropriately and pay attention as we go along. First, we can use his name appropriately as a claim to authority. And what, what I mean by that is, In Exodus 20, it could also be seen as, you shall take the name of your Lord, your God, in earnest. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about the model prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your name be kept holy. Jesus says in there, literally, our Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That what he's saying here is that may your name be heard the same way that it is in heaven. It is holy. It is hallowed. And so down here, will we use the name in the same way? Will, will we pay attention to the authority of God? Will we listen to his heart, his name being revered and respected all across the globe? Because that's the prayer and longing of every disciple of Jesus, is that God's name would be respected and revered around the world. And God's name carries authority. It represents the power that takes a person who has lost his direction, who's ruined his relationship, who's alienated himself from his God and from the purpose God has for his life, and he remakes that lonely, broken person into a man or a woman who shares the character of God. You see, that's the authority of God's word. It's not for me to pound up here and say, by the name of God, you need... No, no, it's the transformative authority of God's word that I'm talking about. It's by his name that we're saved. What amazing authority. What amazing power. We cannot misuse that. We need to use it appropriately. So it can be used as a claim to authority. Second, it can be used as a call to integrity. That, that idea of integrity in our lives. God's name is not just the specific word Yahweh. It's his reputation. There are no other gods above me. There are no idols. Use my name appropriately. And remember to worship. Verse 4. Verse 4 of the Big Ten. It's, about, it's what's known about him. God's covenant people need to live to spread his fame and good reputation across the globe. 
Because you know people draw conclusions about who God is and what he's all about by watching us and listening to us talk about him. I mean, after all, whenever I'm talking to somebody about becoming a Christian, there are two things that get brought up almost every time for me. One is the Inquisition. The second one is the Crusades. Little bitty part of history. Off kilter. That's what people will bring up. Because we will speak. We, what we do and what we speak has impact on God's reputation. Will I bring that forward? Therefore, we must live and speak of him in such a way that his name, his reputation is hallowed, is held up, is revered, is loved. Here's how Paul, who used, used to curse Jesus and didn't want his kingdom to go forward. Here's what he says in Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Every one of us in here who's decided to follow Jesus now becomes a representative of God, and we have his name. And we are his representative. So I ask myself, do my actions, does my life reflect the meaning of Jesus' name in my life? Am I pointing others to Jesus with my mouth. So we can use God's name to claim authority as a call to integrity and finally as a call to intimacy. You see, God gives us his name. His concern was not for our use, but for our misuse of his name. For the way in which we used it as a club, for the way in which we used it to hold him hands, arms length, The very fact that he revealed his name to us indicates he wants to be known by us and he wants us to be able to call him by name. Not as some wooden thing, not as some multitude of gods. God, unbound, Yahweh. He he invites us into an intimate relationship with him. That's why I liked what Zach said a few minutes ago when we were singing. You know, if you're here today and it's just hard for you to give words to the things that are going on, listen to the person beside you who is speaking the name of Jesus, who is speaking the name of God, who is talking about this God who wants to be in relationship with us. Because then you will, you will feel that power, that authority, that integrity, that intimacy that's taking place. Honoring his name changes us from being haughty to humble, from being pompous to poor in spirit, from being rebellious to being respectful. This is not a call to not say anything more and to be so nervous. This is about we can be in relationship with God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Intimacy, into me see. We can see God through his names. We can be close to him. We can talk to him. We can trust him because of his names. And ultimately, we are transformed by his name into his image. Yeah, I love old movies. And one of the ones that I really love is the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, who plays Moses. This is my, what's the, what'd you say, my profile picture? That's it. This is my profile picture with Microsoft. So if you ever get an email from me, and you, never mind. <clears throat> I mean, I love this movie. And Charlton Heston was interviewed many years ago when he did that movie. And, he, and the question was, has making a religious movie impacted your spiritual outlook? Heston, with just kind of an iconic look, and I can't even sound like him, said, you can't walk barefoot down Mount Sinai and be the same person you were when you went up. And that's just for a movie. 
Here's the deal, folks. We can't be the same person we were when we walked down into the waters of baptism as when we came out. We, we won't talk the same. We won't act the same. We won't look the same because Jesus has transformed us. So when the world looks at you, what do they see? I'm not asking if they like you or accept you. I mean, think how much the world seems to hate God, especially Jesus. I mean, no servant is greater than his master. But when the world looks at you, do they see Jesus? Do they see hope in the storm? Light in the darkness? Unshakable joy? Peace surpasses all understanding? A selfless love? Is that what they see? Or, or do they see ways that are incongruent with what we believe? Maybe even incompatible with the name that you have decided to call yourself when you decide to follow Jesus. You now bear the name Christian. And does your life weigh that? Does your life reflect it? Now, I want you to hear what I've done here well. I do not believe that I am now the OMG police at White Oak Christian Church. I am not checking your Facebook. I'm not looking at Instagram. I'm not going to walk up to you. You probably wouldn't do this at Chick-fil-A, but maybe you would at Wendy's or McDonald's. All right? Some of you will figure that one out a little bit later. But rather, we're not going around correcting each other's speech, but rather Jesus says, you're the light of the world, and as light, does 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 your speech reflect the light of Jesus in your life. Because we're children of God, we understand the power of God's name, and so when you use it, mean it. When you use it, mean it.